Hello, everybody. It is another conversation. No, Justin is not sitting next to me. It is Max. Yes. We are here no, with I'm Justin with a very, very good tan. We are here with uh, Mr. Chris Candy. Chris, how are you doing today? Hey, how's it going, everyone? I'm doing great. Um, my first question for you, and it might just be the it might be a very obvious answer, and it might not be. But um, what made you want to go into acting and comedy? Oh, um. We'll start it off late. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was a good podcast, everybody. I'll talk to you guys later. <laughs> um, um, th that's a great question. Um, you know, it's funny. Um, uh, I uh, grew up always, like, performing, but I, I, I went through this this phase when I was, like, a kid where I, I didn't want to – um, you know, follow in my father's footsteps. He's a really legendary comic named John Candy. I'm sure people know him. Um, and uh, I, I really didn't want to follow in his footsteps early on because I was young and I was like trying to figure out who I was. And it just seemed like such an overwhelming um, path to do. And I think everyone can relate to that in the sense of like, I, I don't want to do what my, my family does. You know, it's yeah. like, I want to do what my parents do. And, um, and, but I found myself over the the course of that you know time as I was younger, right? Um, I would be doing plays and I would be on improv teams and I would be you know performing in in shorts and and I, I just always liked doing it, you know. And then I was always into music. I got really into like punk rock music and 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 ska music and all kinds of stuff. And so that was my journey. But even then, when I'd be on the mic, I'd be you know cracking jokes. And so. It wasn't until I got into college and I was like no longer gonna be into touring that I was like I should give this a shot and and it it, it was comedy that initially you know got me going and and um and from from that point on um, I, I I met with some people I, I was doing sound actually for uh, for Clark Duke and Michael Sarah on their show Clark and Michael um, and and I went to college with Clark. And they called me up one day to do uh, a scene on the show, and um, and 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 I got to work with those two guys, and they're both really really funny guys, and I felt like I could keep up with them. So in the beginning, I was uh, when I when that had started, um, I was like, okay, I think I could do this, and I was so fucking green. I was so green. I had so much learning to do because I thought that you know um, I was just gonna like I had my only. Uh, ceiling was was like college plays, you know. So I'm like, oh, I'm gonna book every commercial, <laughs> and I went, I think, like six years without booking a commercial. <laughs> so, um, but that was really where it started. I, I, I think early on, it was like a long journey of like dipping my toe in the water. But then, really, when I look back on it, I had been doing it the whole time. Hey, what's crazy is I I can relate to that because I'm not on the same scale. But uh, when I I used to work for the company that my dad was really high up at. Everything I did there got compared to him, like, you know, because he's known throughout the whole company. And so no matter what I did, you know, I had that shadow hanging over me. And it's like, I don't want to be like here, everybody like trying to relate what I'm doing to what he did or what he's doing. Right. Yeah. What, 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 what kind of work is it? It was uh, uh, in Napa, Napa Auto Parts. He was like really high up and I... Oh, cool. I was working as a driver, but everybody had something to say <laughs> that kind of, you know. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, it, it's difficult, right? Because like you want to, um, 
you you really want to be your your own person and and then and and then it gets creepy as you get older and we all you know they look like their parents we look like our parents just slowly and you're like oh my god um it's an interesting journey but yeah i i i that was that was i can relate to that wholeheartedly uh i have to say um excellent mustache i'm i'm really thinking that it's very well done thanks man Congratulations on that. Like, you did a great job growing that. I say on the podcast, there's only like <laughs> 10 people that can pull off a mustache. And I got to say, you're definitely one you of those just, 10. You made the list. Congratulations. Yeah. If I grew a mustache, just a mustache, I'd look like a guy driving a big van. Yeah. <laughs> that you want to so keep your kids away from. So bad. Yeah. Mustache. But no, you, you pulled off. I'm digging your mustache for sure. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, mustache. It's uh, a. <laughs> I was I was working with a coworker. Uh, I, I used to work for Stussy, the clothing company, and um, uh, my friend I worked with, my friend Brittany. She said, uh, "You know, you'd look really good with a mustache." And I was like, "Okay." And so I tried it, and then <laughs> up until then, I had tried, and and uh, and uh, you know, I I would have like girlfriends tell me like it. You look so stupid with that thing, and then it, I just needed to get to the right age, and I I had worked with some good mustaches, and I knew how to do it, and so uh, when I reinvested my life into a mustache life, <laughs> I uh, had the right direction. Well, yeah, you're pulling yeah, it off. That's me with the mustache. <laughs> it's not. Oh, I, anyone could do it. You could do it too. Man. Good luck. <laughs> I'm scrolling through your IMDb, and uh, this this short just jumped out at me, uh, mostly because of the name, and I really want to see it now, so hopefully you can tell me where I can find it. Uh, Chowchilla? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it sounds very interesting. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, just like, you know, what you're because you're a co-writer on that one, and you're also in it. Um, right. That. Um, yeah, so uh, Chowchilla is... Um, I uh, is is a short film I wrote with my writing partner Garen Gardner, and Garen and I have been making a ton of stuff together for for years. We met in an acting class and uh, out in Los Angeles, and she ended up being my neighbor here in LA, and I had no idea. Um, we had the same commercial agent. We had all these these things in common, and we had met randomly in an acting class, and. Um, we had always wanted to work on something together. You know, we'd, we'd done this show prior to that called Where's This Party, which was this like improv based show that takes place in a car. And um, we were doing that. We were wearing wigs, basically. We looked like crazy in Where's This Party. So we wanted to do something that was like of, um, you know, kick it up a notch, not wear wigs, you know, have a realistic, uh, a good story. And her, her husband's family has this farm. Uh, up in uh, Central California, and it's uh, next to a town named Chowchilla. Chowchilla is this uh, town. Uh, I, it's it's above um, oh um, Visalia, just north, and it's a bit south of uh, you know east of uh, San Francisco. So we started writing this project towards a farm, and what could it be? And uh, the story ended up being like this brother and sister uh, have to sell their family farm. And on the eve of uh, the open house, as they're getting the place ready, uh, a drug drop, uh, money, a bag of money shows up from a drug drop gone wrong, and they find the money. And it's basically like what happens when two people who need a lot of money all of a sudden are gifted it and what, what they do with it. And it's, 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 a, it's a really fun film. Um, and you can find that um, on my website or it's on Vimeo um, and uh, it, it's a great short. And uh, 
I was also working with, uh, in the improv world, this guy, Rick Darge, who's a, uh, a good friend of mine as well too. And he's an incredibly talented director. And he had this like amazing camera. And uh, I knew his skill set of like making film was really strong. And um, it was kind of in my mind, like a science experiment. I was like, all right, I'm gonna see if Garen will work well with Rick. And it was awesome. It turned out perfectly. And, um, and we're all really close friends now and, 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 and extended the creative crew that I have out here in Los Angeles. Um, but Chachilla is fun. It's a beautifully shot film. My sister, she has a part in it, which is really nice. Um, uh, and uh, it, it, it turned out great. I was really happy with it. Are you and your sister pretty close? Yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I saw the name. I was hoping it was some sort of animal because I was like, I want one. I don't know what it is, but I want it. Town, so I, I they need to have a music festival or something like that. Chow Chill needs to blow up. Like, that's yeah, yeah, let's get Chow Chill on the map. <laughs> well, it already is, actually. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, the film, when you watch it, kind of uh, unintentionally ends up having this. Um, it feels like it could be an episode of Fargo almost, you know, there, there it's a dark comedy. So um, I, I think you'll enjoy it. Oh yeah. I'm definitely going to check that out. I, yeah, I please do. <laughs> Short films have always been super hard to find until recently. Amazon and Netflix have actually been buying up a bunch of them. So I've been getting into short films and there's a lot of short films that you've worked on. Do you enjoy the short form, the short film format? Yeah, short form and short film is is great. Um, I think if you see a short film, it is um, a really good gauge on someone's ability and a, a, a sight into their creativity because you have to get a lot of information into a very short period of time. Um, and it's delicate, you know, especially in the era where we're like in with, uh, Instagram, Twitter, short films, it just gets shorter and shorter and shorter. And now we've all kind of settled on one minute, right? Um, if we can, and we can all digest that, but I love going into a theater and watching a bunch of shorts because it's, uh, you know, it really shows, you know, you have to have a solid arc. You kind of have to have an A and a B story. Um, and if it goes too long, people feel it. So it's all of these elements coming together to make this really nice thing. And with that being said, uh, you know, up until recently, you're right, short films weren't being bought. So they either were like a sign of a proof of concept or they were just made for the love of them. You know, it was like Chowchilla, people uh, were kind of talking to us about expanding it. And it was kind of like the bold move at the time you know, to just say, maybe it's just a short film and that's rad. Like, that's super cool. Like, just let's like, let it exist in the world of, of film as a short. That's it, you know, as opposed to like, oh yeah, well, maybe it exists in the, we tried it and it, it just feels like you're taking an idea and, ex, you know, uh, stretching it too thin almost. I, um, to go back real quick to what you said earlier, I could tell we're in the same generation because you referenced ska music. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yeah but uh yeah, that's super awesome I, I was just on a rant uh on the last podcast we had about uh you know like it's okay to make something and have it end and you know it exists as the thing that you made and and, and you know if people love it great you know and, and if they want to like wonder about what happened after and yada yada they can do that but like if you didn't have a plan for after or before, then then you don't need to scramble to get a plan and, and patch everything together and make your thing worse. Um, so no, I much respect to you for you know you guys are like you know what it exists as this and that's that's all we need to do. 
Like I, I, I just appreciate the shit out of that. Like that's the, that is really what I feel like people just do too much. Is like they they're like, oh, well, I can make more money. Well then, you know, let's do this thing instead of just making a good piece of art and and letting it be itself. I'm just really impressed. We recently interviewed a short film director who made We Die Alone, and I was just really impressed with what people who make short films can fit into 22 minutes. Like you said, I watched that 22 minute movie, and I'm like. This is almost like this could be part of an anthology TV show, but it's so much, it's more than what an anthology episode of television would be. And it's just, it's so, so much is fit into 22 minutes. It is so impressive. It's really hard to introduce characters, yeah. have a full arc, and then end the story relatively well. And yeah, no, I, I, I respect yeah. short film. Yeah, it's it's it, it was a world that I um, knew very little about. You know, I think if I would be on like an like a, a flight to to Canada, I would see a couple short films that were like on the in-flight visual system or whatever. But when you make them, you get into the film festival world, which is wild too. But it is really cool when you get on like a rad block and you you get to see all these filmmakers doing something. And, and it reminds me of being in a band and playing and you kind of jam out and meet other bands, other filmmakers, what their style is, what they're doing. And there's just, it's, it's rad when you can have that mutual respect from like a creative level because it's an art form at the end of the day. And at that point, it feels very much like an art form. Um, and as you climb further up the ladder, you have to, it, you have to, it's harder to hold on to that memory and the best people are able to do that and hold on to that creativity. Um, but it, it, you know, like we're talking about, it can get like sucked away and the, and then the final project could be pretty thin. So let's uh, backtrack a little bit. What is, what's, where's this party about? So and again, where can we find it? <laughs> so where's this party is on a website actually called where's this party.com. Um, you can also get all my stuff on, uh, it's ChristopherCandy.com uh, is, 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 I have kind of like a main hub where you can kind of get everything that I've kind of worked on. Um, again, it was uh, my friend Garen, who I worked with, um, you know, we were in this acting class and we just gelled as, as friends and it was like, let's do something. And it was just like, that was the question. Let's just do something. And you know, I have like, I obsess over very weird details, elements, tones, um, and growing up in uh, LA and it kind of being exposed to like, you know, a glitzier side of LA from time to time, I would see like the bizarreness to what Beverly Hills is. Like there is um, a there is this bizarreness to it where it's like on the outside looking in, it's like, oh, it's the fanciest neighborhood in the world, right? But there's all of these like, um, what's the right way to put this? These like weird lowlifes who kind of also like all hang out at like hotel bars there and they've got the fake tan and maybe they like, you know, uh, know the producer of, you know, Under Siege or, you know, they're like, it's like very rooted in the 80s and the 90s. And um, I was like, what if we did a show with like these two Hollywood low life producer director types? They're a couple. And the, the show is they're going and they're meeting someone at one weird Hollywood event and they're driving them to another Hollywood event. So they pick up you know, a, uh, you know, a wardrobe, uh, uh, 
you know, a wardrobe stylist at a, a SAG-AFTRA event, and they're going to a, they're giving that person a ride home, or they're heading to, um, you know, an after party at, you know, uh, Mickey Rourke's house or something like that. And what would it, and, and then what if these two were trying to get something out of the person in the back seat? So we had it where these, these two were, um, they, Richard and Lou were the couple, and Richard had written a movie called Red Rover. And Red Rover was about a dog that witnesses a murder. And they're trying to get the whomever it is to invest, be a part of it, get them in touch with Tom Hanks, get them whoever it is to get them access. And so I went and donned, um, I went to a tanning salon and got a full tan, like a full, like, I think that I said, I, I, I went to this tanning salon called Ibiza Tan in Los Angeles. It's not there anymore. And I said, um, I, I'm doing a comedy and I need the ugliest looking tan I can get, like the craziest one. And they said, you must mean the Mediterranean look. And <laughs> I was like, okay. So <laughs> we know the one. <laughs> yeah, they, they spray tanned me and I was like, uh, you know, looked insane. And then on top of it, I had like a Caesar wig, you know, that like a George Clooney kind of Caesar wig. And then my uh, partner, my wife in the show, Garen, she was Lou and she kind of looked like a, like a Kardashian, like a Chris Kardashian kind of look. And you know, the guy's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, listen here, buddy. All right. When I was working on the movie, you know, uh, when I was up at Mickey Rourke's house, when we were doing shots, you know, I didn't see you there, you know, and it was just very smooth talker, really fucking insulting. Like this is all pre-Trump stuff too. And, <laughs> and there is stuff pre-Trump, pre-Me Too, pre-everything. Um, and it was like me at the time going like, these people exist and they're so insulting and it's all for comedy. Um, I don't know if those characters exist uh, at the moment right now, but at the time I got, I was like, oh my God, this, these, this guy's like a Trump almost. He really is. He's so um, nasty, but he's got a part of gold. <laughs> So anyways, the show is great. We got to work with a lot of awesome people, like, because it was so easy. You know, we filmed it all on a GoPro. We just needed a sound package. And I would just hit up friends and I would be like, you know, it start, you know, TV actors, film actors, you know, we got uh, Will Sasso on an episode. Uh, Dan Levy was on an episode, um, you know, and we would just develop the characters more, you know, uh, First was them pitching Red Rover. Second season was Red Rover was being made and they were kicked off the set. So it was them driving to set. The third season was they don't have a, a pot to piss in and they're drivers at the Burbank International Film Festival. You know, and then we did a holiday episode. So, you know, we just kind of, I followed the arcs of TV shows and just, you know, that's what it was. Are you pretty good friends with Dan Levy? Yeah, Dan and I are totally cool. You know, I, I grew up... Um, with his family and our families being uh, really close. So I remembered when I was a kid hanging out with him a, a few times. And then over the years, I've reconnected, and uh, he's such a nice guy. Yeah, re I'm really, really happy for the success and, and uh, that, that, that Shit's Creek had. And, uh, you know, they're just that, – that whole family, his sister Sarah uh, and his parents are just really lovely, beautiful souls. Yeah, Shit's Creek blew up. That was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I I heard the premise. I was like, this could be funny. I love Eugene Levy, but I I didn't think that it would 
you get what we got. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. When I saw the Emmys, um, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, was there anything else up for an Emmy? Like, I didn't like. Were they just running solo the whole time? Oh. It was sucks for anybody else nominated for a comedy anything. <laughs> I, I had one friend call. Like he's like, this show's winning everything. These guys are cool, right? And I'm like, dude, they're the best. They absolutely deserve everything. <laughs> you know, it was it was yeah yeah. And um, you know, I'm fortunate with with uh, you know my father's world, you know, and, and being able to be around these people and, and, um, in, in, throughout my life. And, uh, you know, I, I, I couldn't uh, be luckier in a sense of, of getting to see some of these people work up close. And, and it's, it's just, it's awesome. Catherine O'Hara is, is, is one of the funniest human beings on planet earth. There's something uh, that makes me absolutely happy to hear that you and Dan Levy are really close. <laughs> Yeah, That's yeah. Like so cool. We are, yeah. It's it's he. You know, he's he's a busy guy these days, but he's definitely someone who you know returns a text and is always super nice. So, I got to ask you about uh, Six Feet Apart. It came out this year. Six Feet Apart. Oh God, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> this, you know, so Six Feet Apart isn't out yet. It's in post production, okay. um, and it is. Um, Basically, a show. Um, well, excuse me, it's a movie. Um, this project, quarantine happens, and uh, you know we're all we all go into lockdown. And about two weeks into the lockdown, um, my friend JJ she texts me and she says, "Are you interested in doing a feature film during during lockdown?" And I said, "Sure. Uh, no one can come in here. My and, and it, I live in like a." pretty small studio in, 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 in LA. Uh, and they said, no, 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 we're gonna, we're gonna um, drop a camera off a lighting package and a sound package. And we're, we're gonna do this film. It's gonna be like two weeks. It'll be awesome. Okay, cool. Um, so I meet this woman, Jessa uh, uh, Zabruka, I believe that's how you pronounce her last name. And uh, she's a writer director and she is really, really kind, really, really talented. Uh, she says that her partner, her boyfriend, uh, has this production house in Los Angeles with a ton of gear. Are you interested? Sure. What's it about? Well, it's like a rom-com about a couple that live in the same building and they fall for each other. Uh, they were on a, they matched on a dating app and they never followed through with it. And then they realized they live in the same building and it's the day before lockdown. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. My character is myself, more or less, but a very, very nervous, germaphobic, hypochondriac, uh, always getting in his own way. Character's name is Chris. <laughs> and um, I embarked on what was like a six-month process of making a film because I had to do everything. We had a DP and a director on a Zoom call. Uh, and then I had to set the camera, set the shot up, make sure it was in focus. I would go around and I would, you know, videotape with my camera, my cell phone, the image that I had pre-recorded to set up the shot. It would take maybe an hour and a half to set up a shot sometimes and you get one or two takes. And it's a multi-functional um, kind of film in regards to the medium. We use Zoom recording, cell phone recording, and, you know, very nice camera uh, film or digital film um, and it all hybrids together and so I'm really excited to see it <laughs> you know I think she's right now just finishing I know the edits locked and I know she's in, in in sound and color right now so that's something that we're hoping to get out 
pretty soon. Um, uh, and that, and that is, that's a great film. But I, and I was happy with that one too, because I got to put some friends in that one. Uh, and, uh, you know, people I worked with in acting class, uh, Nanan Visser, I think that's her last name. I'm saying it, but she was on, uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, I believe was the show. Yeah. So got random people in it, but it was all like labor of love, super fun getting, you know, people in the mix and, uh, ended up, you know, getting a feature film out of quarantine. So. That's awesome. I, I've been really digging. People have been really creative with the format of Zoom. Totally. Yeah. It's it, it, in, in a time where everyone was like, not sure what was going to happen. You know, we all figured it out. You know, we figured out a way to, to talk to people, communicate, make things, you know. Uh, and, and that's that's really cool, too. Like you said, it's very multi-format, but you had to do you know, now, now you're wearing four hats because you, like, you got to yeah. set up all your own stuff. So like that that's really interesting to me like do you feel like you've grown more from that like just because you had to to do all these things that sure yeah it, and and it it makes you appreciate you know i always have but it really makes you appreciate like when you're it's a collective effort everyone's really working together to make make a make a thing you know and i i did sound out of college so i always had an appreciation for sound but you know even it, it, from the actor to the writer to the director to the lighter to the gaffer to the grip to all of these things they all play like a pretty crucial role and um and, you know i think I, I was just very humbled uh and i also it was like a big testament to um patience you know because you just had to have it because we were birthing the baby as it was coming we had never known we were one of the first productions period that was working and we were like you know we would get notes from people on other shows um that were like big shows you know and they would be like bumping into the same problems we were bumping into um so i'm really happy for that one to come out um but i'm happy it's also taking its time in order to get the edit and the sound right uh you know we don't have the money like a netflix or anything like that so. <laughs> trying to get that Hulu money. Um. yeah <laughs> well hopefully she's able to sell it that's a good thing we're in a moment right now where people are just open to buying things. So I have a sense that it will find a nice home when it's packaged and ready to go. Yeah, it's uh, any sort of media is, I think, at a premium right now just because people are you know, like, they've you've watched everything. You know, like you've had all the time to sit at home and, and watch all this stuff, but like, you know, like, now what? Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. Uh, how have you been, like, you know, obviously you, you had, you've been working a little bit during the, the pandemic. How have you been, you know, during all this craziness? Dude, I've been, um, you know, like riding all the fucking feelings, man. You know, it's like, uh, I think that that's the trick with this. It's like, um, uh, you, I'm a runner. So I'm, I'm like, once I felt and figured out how to like do that safely and I realized I could run with a mask on and all that stuff, I was able to like, that was crucial, you know, just get out there and hit that up. And then you know, we're in a surge right now in LA. So it's like, it, it's a little different right now. Like uh, everyone's a bit more precautious in regards to like, you know, how they're getting out there and and, um, and what they're doing. A lot of people aren't, aren't doing Thanksgivings together and all of that. Uh, you know, it's, it's a different time, but like, I look back on it going like, I was really fortunate this summer. I got to go to my nephew's birthday. You know, I got to have a small little backyard birthday. My mom, we did a backyard thing. Like it makes those moments even more precious and, and 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 cool um but then like dude like you know the first couple months were brutal brutal it was like 
you know, and I was just fortunate that like I kicked into like writing mode and, and podcast mode and, and film mode to, to do stuff. So are you doing your own podcast? I do. Yeah. I have one called bumper to bumper with Rick Darge, the guy who directed Chowchilla. Um, and initially it was a show where we were like, yeah, driving around, uh, in LA, um, and he was in his car and I was in my car and we would do the podcast in bumper to bumper, like gridlock traffic. Um, I have to do something in a car always. I don't know what the fuck that is, but, uh, you know, um, it started there and we'd get some guests and they'd come in the car and we'd interview them and it was like an hour long podcast. And then when, when this all started, it turned into like a weekly, let's cheer everybody up, you know, radio style podcast. Um, doesn't really get to anything. It's just a bunch of guys kind of talking. That's so, yeah. how our podcast is typically just us talking about nothing. <laughs> it's great though, because like some people need structure and then other people just like want to put something on the background and like, listen you know and, and and i totally love those it's they're calming for me um when i can just listen to people kind of have a convo yeah we don't even talk to each other during the week like we just wait until it's recording <laughs> it's time like, these are the topics don't say anything don't say anything <laughs> <laughs> Save it. yeah um so do you got a few more minutes yeah of course yeah okay. absolutely okay i wanted to talk to you about your improv days Sure. You uh, you did improv at uh, Groundling, Second City, and Upright Citizens Brigade. Those I did. are some big places. Right. So I um, the, the main school I went to uh, to learn was uh, UCB, um, and they have a four level program over there where you basically learn how to do the Herald. Um, and then I uh, took class over at. Uh, uh, groundlings. I just took one class over there. Um, and primarily on my, on my IMDB, I just put that there just so if casting directors see it, they know that you're trained or have taken classes. And then, um, with second city, I've been over there, uh, prior to all of this going through. And, um, I was on a, a couple teams over there and I was, I was getting coached by coaches over there on this team dazzle. And then, and then I started my own show over there called live from the Hollywood room. So I was performing over there pretty regularly. Um, but I studied there, but, you know, I remember uh, I had this improv coach, this guy named uh, Johnny Meeks, uh, and he was, a, he was my kind of first uh, improv coach I had um, where I was able to just kind of ask him, like, how do you do this? You know, like, like, like I know how to be in a band because I've been in bands forever, but, um, you know, how do you do this? And he just said, this is what you do, man, you know, take the class and then find a team and uh, and uh, start in practicing, get a coach maybe, and then do the Herald like a thousand times. And then basically when I was, re when I reconnected with my friend Rick Darge, he said, I have a practice team that's going on. And then we started a team called the Beach Bunnies. And it was, uh, you know, a bunch of friends and we started a, an indie team basically. And I cut my teeth pretty hard with them because we had tried a bunch of different coaches and we, you know, and we just played all the indie spots around LA. And for me, that was a very awesome time. It was like two years of my life where it was like every Saturday night, we'd go play this one show and then go to bars and hang out. And it was super duper fun. And, 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 uh, I, I really, I really learned a lot just from getting up there and doing it like a billion times, kind of like what, what, uh, my teacher had said. Um, but up till the till, till now, I was at Second City, and I was just exclusively there playing with the the Dazzle team, and then um, with uh, with uh, Jason and doing live from the Hollywood Room. 
what is the uh, Herald? So the Herald is um, basically it is a structured um, improv where it's got several beats that are going on in it. So it's like you have uh, your first beat of a scene. So it's it, it's a specific structure. So it's like three levels or I guess five levels, um, and it's like three first beat scenes, a group game. The second, then it's the second scenes are revisited in the second beats, basically. Then another group game. And then the third beats. And the third beats, the scenes can tie anything together. So if I'm in the first round of a scene and I start a scene where I am a chef and I'm cooking um, and I'm, I'm arguing with my brother, we could take that argument, we could take that relationship, we could take the same characters and in the second beat, um, develop that same scene or have another scene about fighting brothers or have another scene about whatever. And that would be the, the second beat. And then the third beat, I could take anything from anywhere and try and connect those dots. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. it, it basically it's, it's a way of, of, of um, structuring story. Uh, and it's just one way to do improv. It's, um, it's, it's, I haven't done it in a long time. Um, but uh, the improv I was doing primarily towards the end was like a short form and a long form where you just do various scenes. It can have a bunch of different structures. You can do whatever you want with it. And uh, But uh, the Herald was basically that. And UCB, that's their structure from what I understand and from what I took away from it is they're going to teach you how to do the Herald. And you go through four levels of learning how to do that. Um, and then their theaters, you know, uh, they'll have a Herald night where you get to see a Herald performed or they'll have a short form night or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I, I've kind of, you know, it's fun when, when comedy was really up and going before all of this, it was nice to bounce around to a bunch of different theaters and perform and, and do all kinds of things. That's what I miss most during this pandemic is comedy. Max and I, we braved the storm to go to the comedy club here to watch Josh Wolf. And yeah, I, I realized like how much I actually miss it because it got me out of the house. I have not really left my house since this whole COVID thing started. Yeah. I'm much home. I don't want to get sick. My mom, my mom just got over cancer. So I, and she still insists on seeing me. So I'm trying to keep my distance from as many people as possible. But I, I, I could that. not go. Like I wanted to go to the comedy club so bad. It was yeah. like four months after the pandemic started, and I was starting to itch to get out. And yeah, and that was really cool. And you know, like you have like Dave Chappelle doing his thing out in the cornfield in, in uh, uh, northern Ohio. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's like you don't realize how much you need. Like you know that like when we were there and just laughing and, and having a good time. Like it, it's yeah, it's it's amazing how much you miss. Like you don't even realize you miss it that much until. You know, you, you get a little taste of it back, but uh, no, it was it was good. Um, do, do you feel like like improv? Like I I, I dabbled little dabble in uh, stand up oh. comedy, but do you feel like improv is sort of like that, where it's like it's easy to to not hit and very hard to just carry it along literally the whole time? Because like, sure, I, I find that very interesting. Yeah, yeah, you're you're. I agree. I think improv and stand up um, are are both very different things. Um, uh, you know, a lot of people think that there's a similarity to them because it's under the veil of comedy, right? And um, I, I, I never, I think I, I hosted a comedy show once where I had to write jokes, but I realized that I'm not a stand-up and I really respect stand-ups, you know, because it's like, 
they dedicate their whole life to this art form. And it's the same for, for, you know, improv too. Like you have to dedicate, you know, I always say that you, um, improv is like a yoga practice. You know, you're going to do it. You could potentially be doing it your whole life. So it's like, there's going to be times, even when you're like at the top of your game that your hips might still be super tight, you know, cause you haven't done it in a while. So yeah, you could be like really good and still suck you know, in improv. And that's kind of what I like about it. And that's, I think the same in standup. I think from what I understand with standup, it's like, you got to get into the rhythm and the beat of your jokes and the architecture of your joke and all that and, and, and your set. And in improv, um, you have to be really attentive, paying attention in the moment, all these big concepts and words people throw at you at classes and schools that like, don't fucking hit me when I first hear them. But it isn't until like, I had this one coach, this guy, Jason, who I, I did my show with at Second City, he just explained it so well and about, you know, tension relief. And it's like, I think that this relates to all performance, but it's like you, the audience is nervous when someone walks on the stage. They're just like nervous. They're kind of like, all right, what are you going to do? Unless they have faith in you, unless you're like, you know, a huge comedian, you know what I mean? And and so if you're just a nobody or a random improv team, the audience is like, ha yeah, all right. Like, and it's, it's the job of the performer to play with that tension, but really relax everybody and with confidence say like, hey, don't worry, I know what I'm doing. No, and we all know what we're doing. And in improv, we got each other's backs. We're gonna watch out for each other. We are gonna do our very best to make this funny. And um, once you get past that element, which a lot of teams miss, and I missed for years of just like letting everybody know we got this, <laughs> we're going to perform in front of you, then you can start playing with things. And then you can start playing with the pressure and the tension. And then that's where it could get tricky. A lot of people, I think, jump to the tricky stuff first, which is cool. But, uh, you know, the audience won't be on board. I, I, I went to a stand-up night here, actually. Um, and I... Uh, it was uh, at an outdoor event, and um, I, I was so surprised. There's some comedians who got it, and they were just like, no, everyone's been locked in. I'm just going to please everybody. And then there were some comics who were, like, trying really difficult material, and I was like, no one was laughing. And I was like, oh, man, but that's a stand-up. You know, they want to try. They got to keep working it, you know, and that's the art of it. So, um, you know, I... I I, I do know what you're talking about in regards to that feeling of, of shakiness uh, because I, I felt it all the time. I still do. Um, I just think with improv over the times, I've kind of gone like, oh, I think I've got a few little tricks in my back pocket that if it's going south, I can like always turn on like a blowhard, you know, car salesman. All right, everybody. You know, I always like in an improv scene, I always pretend to smoke a cigarette. And I think that I don't smoke, but I think it's because like that's me like calming myself down. So I'll be on stage. <sighs> you guys watch Westworld last night? Yes. <laughs> and then the audience goes, oh, okay, car salesman, having a break, talking about Westworld, whatever. You know, I don't know. That's my little cheat. That's, that's great. <laughs> I smoke a big cigarette to make myself feel better. That's <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, uh, yeah. What the hell are you talking about, buddy? No. <laughs> I, I got one more question for you. Um, sure. I used to watch this show every week. Um, you were involved with uh, supplying the voice for Camp Candy. Yeah, yeah. I want to know what was that like going into the uh, vocal booth at such a young age. 
Um, well, you know, that that's like a different lifetime ago, but it, it's still a part of my journey, man. Um, I, my dad, you know, created this show in the height of animation in the, in the, in the early nineties, you know, and I think it was late eighties, early nineties, you know, and he was really, um, you know, when I look back on his career, you know, he was doing a radio show. He had an animation. He was owner of a Canadian football team. He was really spreading himself out there as a, you know, a successful uh, businessman, uh, entertainer, whatever you want to call it. And he went into animation and Camp Candy. Um, yeah, I think he did it partially for my sister and I, because we were both kids and we were obsessed with Saturday morning cartoons like we all were. I think he saw that. And, um, but then on top of it, I think he really wanted to tell um, his stories about camp, you know, and, and when you watch those, it's just, you know, pretty basic, right? You know, funny camp with kids and, you know. Um, so then it just got to a point where he was such a, he had such a big heart and and I think he just wanted to involve us. I think it would it was fun for him. And it wasn't intimidating at all because he was just, he was such a, you know, he was a dad, you know, he wasn't Mr. Perfect, but he was definitely like, you know, had a big heart, you know? And uh, when I look back on that time, it, it wasn't nerve wracking at all. Um, he And and I remember him showing the character uh, that I ended up playing. I saw the animation. I was just thought that was so cool. And I was just, you know, man, I have to say, you know, to share my time on earth with him and have him be my dad. I was super fucking lucky, man. And it's a beautiful thing. And so I, 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 I think of moments like that and where his generosity and his heart just shine through really brightly. Yeah. I, I, I love that show. And um, I <laughs> yeah. was really happy to find out you were a part of it and your sister was a part of it. I think that's really cool. Yeah, he he. We had a farm up in Canada. I mean, we still have land, but there's there's no house on it anymore. But you know, we um, he he would uh, film the bumper spots on the property. Um, so he was always very much trying to, and I understand that. Uh, but he wanted to ground his productions and his reality around him, and and make uh, involve people and and be open and helpful and collaborative with with people so he he had bought this farm with my mom when he was doing at a second city and uh you know this was before anything and then next thing he knows he's filming spots for camp candy there in the early 90s so he he was cool that way man i respect that and i love that but yeah it was a fun show camp candy <laughs> it was i i was flipping through youtube the other day and somebody had it on there Dude, one of the funny things I was noticing with that was <laughs> um, it's a part of the Marvel comic universe. <laughs> Is it? It's a part of the MCU because they did Camp Candy comic books. And Camp Candy is part of it. And I was going like, in the end, the end scene of Endgame, I'm like, oh man, that would have been fucking real deep. <laughs> I think I, I tweeted something like, the only person to not to survive the Thanos snap was uh, <laughs> the Camp Candy. Yeah, I just realized that. I remember my friend pointed it out actually. Fletcher. I'm gonna start that Twitter thing. Yeah, Hashtag Chris Candy for the MCU. Yeah, dude. Get yeah. <laughs> I think uh yeah, it, it didn't trend, but I, I noticed I was like, whoa, okay, interesting. Anyways. 
Max, did you have any questions? Uh, no, I'm just I'm just like awestruck a little bit. <laughs> like it's uh, uh, I just very appreciative to have you on, man. Um, you've been super cool. Uh, oh, dudes, yeah. I, I when you reached out, um, I can't remember. Was it was it through uh, some story went out or something like that? I, I know I, I you all of a sudden kind of showed up. I um, it was after the, your dad's birthday's anniversary. I was doing research on them, and I realized that you and your sister were in the business, and I started looking at your IMDb, and I'm like, man, they seem fascinating. So I reached out to both of you. Oh, cool. I'll, I'll let Jen know. I'm sure, you know, she's, she's uh, she, I'm sure she would love to hop on the show. But um, I, <laughs> I have something I want to talk to you about after the broadcast, but uh, where can everybody find you online? Um, it's, uh, Chris Candy for you on Twitter and Chris Candy forever, uh, <laughs> <laughs> on Instagram and then uh, ChristopherCandy.com is all my website stuff and you'll be able to navigate through all the stuff we were talking about on those sites. Well, I think I can speak for Max when I say you've got two fans here for life. Thank Big you fans. so much for coming oh, on the podcast. Really respect that, guys. Yeah, that's super nice and, and uh, yeah, I love I love talking shop. It's so fun. Uh, and everybody, the links to all of Chris's stuff will be in the description of this audio or this video and thank you guys so much for checking us out. Cycle your droids.